Last week we spoke about some of the ideas about the other characteristics of the Rabbani Shalom. And so this week we're going to begin understanding the interaction of the Rabbani Shalom with the Bria itself. But there are just certain uh, ideas that I wanted to just round out as a hashlama to the Indian. And basically try to talk about uh, certain ideas. Um, the first idea is the idea of time. And in terms of what our understanding of the Rebbein Shalom and time is. And that is that First, a definition of time. Time is, the, the, a definition of time would be that time is the constancy, the continuity, the duration of existence. All things which exist pass through time. There's a certain duration to their existence. There's a continuity. There's a continuousness about things as they keep existing. And that's called time. Time is that duration that things exist in. As such, it has three, obviously, three time periods. There's a past, present, and future. Things which were, of course, the past, what is now is the present, and what will be is the future. So, again, time is that duration that continues. And it has these kind of three periods. The understanding of time is to be distinguished from the measurement of time. The measurement of time, in other words, if we want to measure one passage to the next, there are many different ways. A watch will tell us the passage of time, or the sun around the earth, or the moon around the, uh, the earth around the sun, or the moon around the earth. All these are measurements of time, but then it's not time itself. It, it, it helps us, tells us how we can measure the amount of elapsed existence. But the idea of time, of course, is that duration of existence, the continuity, as things continue to exist. Now, the important idea is that time itself is a nivra. Time itself is a created concept. It did not exist before the Rebbe created that. So time is a nivra. And, of course, since it is a nivra, the Rebbe exists outside of time. means he's timeless. Now, we don't understand what it means for any being to be outside of time, because it's beyond our system of logic, or our experience, of course. So we certainly don't have any idea. Not only do we not understand what it means to be beyond time, how does a, a being that does not exist in time interact with a Bria that does exist in time? That itself is a very neat trick. Forget about the fact that he doesn't exist in time. But he interacts with the existence that has time. So how, do, how does that happen? Again, it's not known or understandable. Now as such, if the revolution exists outside of time, then when, 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 when people, when swarms say that the revolution has no trilo, he has no beginning and no end, it doesn't mean that God has no beginning, no end, means he always was and he always will be. That's a mistake, because that assumes that God exists in time, except He always was and He always will be, everlasting time. The Rebbe is timeless, so obviously He has no beginning or end. 
That's what beginning or end means. He has no beginning or end because he exists outside of that which is called beginning or end. There's no beginning. There's no passage of time that we could say, referred to as any kind of a beginning or an end. So it's not that God exists in time except he always was in time and he always will be in time. The revelation is timeless. So therefore he exists outside of the entire realm of time. And where do we see this? It says, Mephoshim say, Bereshis Baralokim. And Bereshis can be translated as Bereshis with a beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. It means with a beginning. A beginning of course means time. With the concept of time itself, the Bereshim created the Bria. In other words, time and the Bria were synonymous. They came into existence simultaneously. In other words, the, existence, the Bria itself exists in time. And time was created together with the, with the Bria itself. And that's what Bereshis means. Not in the beginning, but Bi. Bi means, it doesn't say Bereshis, in the beginning. In other words, Ba would be a contraction of Beha. It says Bereshis, with. So with a beginning means with the idea of time. The Revolution created the heavens and earth. So time, of course, was created with the Bria itself. And as such, if we understand that, there are many questions that refer to God's foreknowledge. How do, if God knows what will be, then how do we do con- then how do we do contrary to His will? The question of He knows what's going to be, so how do you have free will and so on? The question itself is wrong, because God does not know what will be. The Revolution does not know the future. There is no future. That's the whole idea. It's only in terms of us, there will be a future. But devotion doesn't exist in time that there's a past, present, or future. There's no future. Everything to Rebbeinu so to speak, is present. Everything that was, is, and will be is happening now. We have no conception of what that means. So God doesn't know what you will do. You are doing whatever you will do now. Except in terms of your own reference, it's not happening yet. Now again, we don't understand what that means, it's contradictory to us, but the whole question of God's future knowledge doesn't apply because there's no future to the Rav Islam. There's no time. We, we don't know how to measure how the Revolution perceives this universe, of course, is without time. So there's no, all these questions of Vakhira and foreknowledge and so on don't apply to the Revolution altogether because he's beyond the entire existential or logical system that we exist in. That's basically the notion of time that I wanted to mention. Because I had mentioned previously that the Rebbeinu does not exist in space and the idea that the Rebbeinu does not exist in time. And of course, the Rebbeinu himself is not a substance, a material substance at all. So if you recall, I said the universe consisted of three fundamental units. Time, space and matter. And everything revolves around that. The Rebbeinu really is really none of these things. So that's one idea that I wanted to finish, which really has shocked us the last week's year. The second idea is, and this is really basically the last idea in terms of the, at the characteristics or attributes of the Rebbeinu is the notion of God's independence of everything. Independence of the Rebbeinu does not mean that, number one, he is able to fulfill all his needs. He's a self-sufficient being. No. Because God has no needs. So it's not a matter that He has needs, but He can fulfill them all outside of anything. And he doesn't need any help. The Russian has no needs, so He's not self-sufficient. He has no needs, period. 
The Rishon lacks nothing. There's nothing that he has to do or that's lacking that has to be completed. That's what the idea of Shlemus was, which I discussed last week. That the Rishon is a Shalim, which means that he lacks nothing. So when we say that God is independent, we say that Rishon is independent of anything outside himself. Even in terms of his own needs in himself. He, ha- he doesn't have to fulfill anything outside himself. And even in himself, he has no needs that he's dependent on, even intrinsically. God is not dependent extrinsically outside himself, or intrinsically inside himself. He's not, he's not a slave to his needs that he's got to... we hunger, so we have to go out and make a living and get bread and food and so on, right? He doesn't have inner needs that he's a slave to those needs. He's not, in, he's not dependent on anything outside or inside himself. Complete independence. And even a deeper way of understanding that is the version is independent even of the constraints that we have. And which means that we are constrained to exist in space, right? We are dependent upon... If there was no such thing as space, we couldn't be because in no way could we have a mockum to extend in. The version doesn't need space to exist in. We exist in time. Without time, we wouldn't be. Rebunshim does not exist in time. You see, so in other words, we even have certain laws of existence. Rebunshim is devoid of those laws because he is existence. So in a deeper way, Rebunshim is independent even on those con- concepts of which we are dependent on. He doesn't need time to exist. He doesn't need space. He doesn't need any of the laws of existence. Even the idea of substance this is substance he doesn't need in other words if there's such a thing as substance then we can exist because we are substance in other words we need the idea of substance to exist there's no such thing as a substance forget about what kind of substance but just a notion right then we couldn't exist because we are substance right so therefore we are dependent on our existence for the idea of substance itself besides time and space the revolution is not dependent on substance Okay, because either he is synonymous with substance or he created the idea of substance in the first place. But he's independent even of that idea. That's a very that that's an understanding of independence of the Rabbanishlam in an amkistic way, not a superficial way. Okay? That he is independent of concepts that we need to exist. Forget about needs. We actually need concepts to exist in time, space, substance and so on, the laws of existence. He's devoid of any of those. He doesn't need time, space, substance, or laws of existence. He doesn't need anything. So if that's the case, then what is he that he is? I mean, what concepts? It's not, no, we don't know. And the, the truth of the idea is that he, he himself would be synonymous with the concept itself. So he does, he's not embedded in substance. He is substance in that sense. Okay, that's about all we can understand about that. But just those two important ideas, how far the revelation is removed from the Bria. And that rounds out our entire discussion of the last five shurim about the revelation of himself in terms of the fact that he does not exist in time and that he is independent of needs, of the very concepts that we must have in order to exist in. He doesn't need that. Either he created those or he is synonymous with the concept itself. He is the concept. Which... Okay, so that more or less rounds out the hashlam of the Indian of the attributes of the Rebbeinu And of course, the most important one we talked about is the transcendence of the Rebbeinu from this Bria, which all of this illustrates. And the idea we spoke about last week, the his Yehudah, 
that the only thing we can be masik about the Rebbe Shalom is the unity itself because you can masik that in the, indirectly because in order to understand oneness all you have to do is negate plurality and if there's no many then obviously there's only one so therefore the aspect of Yehudoi of the Rebbe Shalom which I spoke last week which is really crucial to understand the aspect of his achduso, his Yehudoi, his unity the fact that he is Enoid Mavadim that is the aspect that we are going to receive in Elam Haba. That is the so notice the two words that define your experience in Elam Haba when you get there is Hasogas Yehudai, the comprehension of his unity. Because we cannot know God positively, recall last week, only negatively and only indirectly. But the closest attribute that we can know about the Rabbi Shalom, even though it's indirectly, is the attribute of his unity. The, you know, the unity of his metzius and his shlita. The idea that he is the complete soul power and he is a soul being. Those two ideas. In fact, just to mention, since I mentioned those two ideas, the ideas of yichud metziusu and yichud shlitosar. The fact that God is the supreme ruler, supreme authority, is shlitosar. And the idea that God is the supreme only being that's the Yichur of Metzius, that he's the only thing that exists. Both of those Hasogas we will be massing. When? The Mashiach is the one who's going to be Megala Shritosai, because by showing that all the nations, when, notice, when the, the presence of the Russian is revealed, then each person will realize that he has absolutely no Koyach whatsoever, that he has no power whatsoever to defy God, or even to, to do that which is not necessarily defiance of God. So Mashiach Umagala, the Shlita of the Rabbani Shalom, his absolute rulership of the entire Bria, even the Yetzirah, the Sitra Achor. And the second thing, and this is only in Elim Haba, is the, basically, the Yichud Mitziusar. There you will realize the Mitziusar, that God is the only one that exists, and the byproduct of that is infinite Hanor, that understanding of God, that God is the only thing that truly has existence, that is the incredible pleasurable state that people while they're experiencing that receive so that more or less rounds out the ideas of the attributes of the Rebbe Islam. okay so basically we discussed is the idea of his timelessness and the idea of his complete utter independence of all ideas that we know of now now I want to be, begin talking about the beginnings of the bridge between God on one side and the universe on the other. And the beginning of the interaction. And the first thing to understand about the beginnings of the interaction is really to understand several ideas in the Bria itself. And how, we, how God is distinctly removed from those ideas in the Bria. Now, and to discuss the ideas in the Bria itself. And I want to begin by just an idea of what is Teva? Teva. Have you heard of the word Teva? Teva is, the English word is either, they use the word nature, which is not a good word, because nature sounds like it's a person, you know, Mother Nature was very wise, you know, it's an absurd idea, you know, as if Mother Nature had an intelligence, as if there was such a thing, you know. Uh, but the idea, we could look at in terms of Teva as natural order. It's the scientific or natural order of the universe. What is Teva? And then to develop it from there, what is Teva, and then what is a Ness? What is magic? Kishif. 
These are the ideas I want to go into. And then, in terms of the person himself, what is what is a person's actions, and then what is his will? To understand how they clearly are differentiated from the Bunishlam. And what we do, where he is involved and where he's not involved. Now, Teva. Teva is nothing more than the consistent behavior of the Rabbani Shalom in a, in a consistent fashion. In other words, the Rabbani Shalom says, if you take a rock and you throw it off a building, it must hit the earth. That's gravity. Gravity is the order by which the Rabbani Shalom is metzavah, that any object must be attracted to another object. In the Torah, you jump off the roof, you commit suicide. You know, and, and in the Torah, if you want to use gravity to aid you, if you want to take something and lift it and then put it down to a second floor so you throw it, whatever. You know, it's the ideas of gravity or all the physical laws, physics, chemistry, and so on, which we call Teva, simply mean that it's the Tzivoy Tamidi. It's the ongoing commandment. That the Russian does not veer in his commandment. means he says he commands gravity, 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 every minute of the, every instant of time. Okay, that's what Teva is. Teva is nothing more, wait, Teva is nothing more than God's commandment consistently. That's all it is. Now, if that's the case, is there a causal effect? In other words, we look at cause and effect. Okay, for instance, like this shtender, why is it brown? Why is the shtender brown? Why can't it be green? So, we look, so science tells us that it depends how light rays bounce off this object. And the, the atoms or whatever in this object is in a specific way that bounces light waves off and gives out what we see as brown. Now, the question is, what does one have to do with the other? Why is it that if, the, let's say, the atom is this way, or let's say the atom is spinning in one direction as an example, that, the co- that the, the, it will always reflect light in that fashion? Why? What's the cause and effect? The answer is there is no cause and effect. It could bounce brown, it could bounce green. If the Rorishim says bounce green, it bounces green. The only thing that science does is it tries to see the relationships between two phenomena. If the atom is this way, so then brown results. And if it's that way, then the green results. That's the brilliant statement that science will come up with. And that's all they can do. They can show you relationships. But is that an absolute cause? No. Does the fact that the atom goes this way must cause the color brown? No. And throughout all existence, all scientific understanding of phenomena is merely relating and saying, well, this phenomena happens because this phenomena. But if this phenomena is happening, must it cause that phenomena? The answer is no. Because in other words, there is no such thing as an absolute cause and effect. This must be. There's no intrinsic connection. The connection is only the tzivui of the Rabbani Shalom. And the Russian said, I want this to happen when this occurs. I want this to be the cause of that. But the cause is his tzivoy. Not There's nothing absolute in the Bria that makes this happen because of that. That's a merely fundamental principle which destroys or at least gives you an understanding of what science does and what it doesn't do. In other words, there is no causal connection between any phenomena. There are relationships. But there's not causal. The only causal connection is not the thing itself, but the tzivu of the Rebbe Now, what happens if the Rebbe says, you know, for today I want this not to make brown, but make green. That's called the ness. It's the same tzivu, 
But if the Russian decides to change the tzivoy and it becomes an inconsistent tzivoy, that's called a ness. So a teve is nothing more than the ongoing, consistent, systematic tzivoy of the Rebbeinu That's the commandment of God. That's nature or the natural order. Okay. And a ness is nothing more than a deviation from the tzivoy. With the Rebbeinu is mitzava fakir. Again, it can only go to a commandment. But God commands reverse, like Yamsar. The river normally flows. On that day, God said, look, I want the waters to go against gravity. Now, he said, why not? Why can't it? Because the whole reason why it was going with gravity was because God said it. There was nothing intrinsic in gravity. Because of gravity, the waters must flow. So he said, don't flow that way. Go upwards. It's as easy as God to make a miracle as it is to make Teva. Now you see. It's not that God needs a mercy strength. Oh, he's got to push to make, to make sure a nest happens. No. All he does is change the Tzivoy. The same st- effort that's, in, uh, that's involved in making natural order, there's no, the same effort is involved in changing natural order. It all depends what he wants. That is illustrated in the Gemara of Hanina Mendoza. Because there was a month of Mice of Hanina Mendoza, it was the Arab Shabbos, and all he had left was vinegar. So his daughter came over and said, you know, uh, we only have vinegar, we don't have no oil, what's how's it going to burn? So he said, no, he who said that oil should burn, will say vinegar should burn. What was he really saying with Hanina Mendoza? He's saying to her, there's no causal, intrinsic connection that only oil has the combustible capacity. You know, the oil is a combustible substance, right? And vinegar is not. There's nothing that lies in the oil that makes it combustible and vinegar isn't. The Rebbeinu says that this is what makes something combustible, but vinegar doesn't have it, so it's not. But the Rebbeinu could say, well, I want vinegar also to burn, even if it doesn't have that combustible idea in it. That's what Rabbani Bandos was saying. There's no absolute causality in phenomena itself that makes one be from the other. It's only the tzivoy, the commandment. No, he commanded oil to burn, so command vinegar to burn. There's no difference to him. And kachoya, a ness happened, of course. A ness means that God changed the order. And he said, vinegar, let it burn. And it burnt. That's the idea of Rabbani Bandos. That's a very important idea to understand, the notion of Teva and the notion of Ness. And that there's no causal connection underneath. What shows you what science only can labor in is relationships, but not absolute causal connections. Nobody knows what those things are. Now, the second idea we talk about Teva is Kishof, magic. Because magic is a deviation. A Ness, a miracle, is a deviation from Teva, natural order. So is magic. So the Gemara says, There is nobody besides God, even magic. Gemara learns that out, even magic. What does that mean, even magic? Because people think that God himself is restricted to natural order. You know, God can work murdering things with natural order. That's what, the, that's what, the, every, uh, which itself, everybody has different ideas of what God is and what his powers are, which itself is interesting to analyze. But in any case, People think that God himself is confined to natural order, as if natural order is causally connected absolutely independent of the Rebbeinu realm. But that means God is dependent. That's why the notion of independence of all concepts is so important to understand. What magic is, Kishaf, sorcery, whatever you want to call it, forget about how it works, because that you'll understand later. But the idea is what magic is, is nothing more than the Rebbeinu said, 
that I am a tzava, I command that if you do these and these things, you can revert the natural order. But the ability of magic to reverse the natural order is itself a commandment. You see? Again, it's a commandment. In other words, it's God said that if you say this name, Shem, this letter, these, these words, okay, then this word can violate natural order. That's a tivoy. But in order for magic to do that, if they say a Shem, whatever, that itself must be commanded by God. It's all commandments by God. The question is, what does God want to be consistent or not consistent? So he has given magic or shemus or certain powers and names. Forget about the mechanism of how they work, because even they work in a cause, in a, in a, just like science has relationships, even though they're not causally connected, magic also has relationships. There's nothing as you say magic, you know, magic you say and it happens. No, there's a real chain of events that happens to make that occur. The only thing is that the Roshim has given Koyach in certain shamus and certain events that can change what looks like natural order. But there's no more different than the Roshim saying that you can interfere with natural order by other natural order itself. You can interfere with natural laws by bringing up different natural laws. So one law itself can intervene in the other because that's part of what we call nature or natural order. Kishiv is really that. The only difference is that Kishiv, Kishiv, we don't even see how it changes it. Because the, the mechanism itself is beyond our view. It's not testable by science. So therefore, we call it magic. But the truth is that the effect that magic has on the Bria is the exact same effect as any law or a, a, a scientific principle has on another scientific principle. The God said, you operate, you are combustible. But if you add, let's say, if somebody says, if you add plaster of Paris, it doesn't become combustible. So you are interfering with a natural order. But that's teva, because we can try to understand how it works, why this interferes. Well, kishif, magic, interferes, but except the way it interferes is beyond our observation. So we call it magic. But it's the same idea. The Russian commanded that one can interfere with the others. Except one, he allowed us to see the connection, the relationship, and by magic he didn't. That's the only difference. But after a while, those people are very much into it, I don't mean today, I mean Tanoim and Bilam and so on, they knew the causal connection also. They could see how it works underneath. But that's the idea of Kishif. That ain't even a feel of Kishif. That's what Chazal is saying. That even magic is within the constraints of the Rebbe Islam. Because it's nothing more than Teva. Magic is Teva. Because every time you see that Shem, that a deviation in order will always happen. But the difference is, is that Teva itself is observable to us. And the way the mechanism of magic is not observable to us. That's why it's called magic. So even Kishif, of course, is determined by the Tzivoy, or the commandment of the Rabbi Islam. Now, the next idea is when a person does something. The only thing that the Rabbi Islam allows outside of his Shlita, or rule, and nobody knows how it happens, because the truth is it's not possible to happen. But anyway, the Rabbi Islam says it exists, because it's an open posik, it's a Bukhat Bukhayim, is Bukhira. Now, I'm not going to talk about Bechira, that's it for another Shia, how we understand free will and so on. But just the notion that when you choose something, you will. Let's say you, you get up, let's say it's a very hot day and you're walking along and all of a sudden you, you know, you, you come, come into a, a Frankfurter stand, somebody's on a train for Frankfurters, you know, and you smell the aroma, you haven't eaten all day and you're starving, you know. 
Now, at that minute, you know, you'd love to have that. Now, for most from Eden, it's not even an Nisayim, because they've already got that out. But let's assume, um, let's say another Nisayim, let's say uh, you're uh, uh, for davening in the morning, you know. It's, it's cold winter, it's raining outside, and you want to, you think maybe getting up in the morning, Shabbos morning, to go to daven, right? That's an Nisayim. Yeah, we have to go and daven for sleep and so on and so forth. That's one side. Yes, that's what do you mean? Davin to pray to the version of the song because he's a whole cause of existence and so on. You're right now thrown in a, in a quandary. That's your Nisayan. So all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, you know, I want to get up to Minyan. Now that will, that will, there was no action yet because he's still lying in bed, right? That thought, that desire that I want to get out of bed, God did not place it in your mind. Not only that, but it had no previous existence before you thought about that. You chose freely meaning that you put that thought you are the true first cause of that thought and that core that idea that you want to get out of bed had no existence previous to your thinking about it and you were the one who brought that into existence so you could choose either one or the other that rotten is purely yours and nobody else's how does the rebellion do that is not known because the truth is impossible because you can't bring anything into existence unless he brings it also in. Because you, you, you're not the Baba boss of existence to make things. Okay, nobody knows how it works. But it says in the Torah, and you should choose life. It doesn't say you've got to have it. It's a The Torah uses Lashem Bechira there. So obviously the idea of free will. But free will means that the idea that you have only in the will, not in the body or the motions, you bring into existence, you are actually buried, you create that which had no previous existence beforehand, and you will it, you bring it into existence. Okay, so you are the true first cause of what that is, and you can decide which one to bring into existence. Now, let's assume now you begin getting off this bed, right? Now, you'll notice the will precedes every instant action in man. When you begin lifting your arm, that I want to lift my arm and my arm lifts. At every microsecond, I have to have a constant input of will. Lift, 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 lift. It, I don't feel this. You don't even see the connection between your will and lifting your arm. But the truth is, you are willing it at every microsecond of the way, or else it wouldn't lift. It would stop in midair. If your will ceased, it would cease acting. So the truth is that your will itself, whatever you decide to will, isn't a one-shot deal. It's got to be continuous or else you don't move. So when you decide to get up in the morning to go to Minyan, the first instant of that idea is created, number one. And number two, it's a content continuousness of, uh, of getting up to Minyan. So now you begin getting up to Minyan, you put your feet off the floor, and, uh, 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 onto the floor and so on and so forth. Every instant in time you're being burkhulatoyim. Every instant you sit down and davening, and the davening itself is bechirab. So in other words, you are bechiratory. You are freely choosing, in this case, to do a mitzvah at every microsecond to microsecond. That's what your will does. The Shalom does not interfere with what you want to create. You want to create a will for good, okay. You want to create a will to sleep, okay. He does not interfere with your capacity to be bechirab. So you can will anything you want, and whatever you will, God does not place it in your mind, which you must do. He doesn't place it, means it exists in your mind, you put it there, and you create something out of nothing.
But that's only the will. Once it comes to the actions, you may or may not be able to fulfill your will. Many times a person wants to get up to minion, right? And all of a sudden he gets a stomach wave, a stomach ache. That's the end of the, the mice. You only have control. In other words, the only thing God will allow you independent of him, and nobody knows how it's done, is to will. The will which precedes all action. The action itself, the maisa, the getting, taking your foot out and so on and so forth, has nothing to do with you anymore. Then it's up to the Bunishman if he wants to allow you or not. But, if he allows you, you get the scha for every instant in time. Because you, like I said, you must have a will to do that every instant in time. Or else you yourself would stop in midair. You see? So you get, your reward is for your will at every microsecond. If he allows your will to actually influence the body to go and do it. But the maisa, the actual expression of your will into real action by the human body and also by the environment and so on, has nothing to do with you anymore. That's up to him if he wants to occur or not. So, we see also that your maisa is not related to you in the sense that you are not the balabas even on your maisa. The only thing you could say is mine and not God's, only one thing, and that's the will to do what he wants or not to do what he wants. And that will precedes all your actions. So therefore you will be rewarded or punished for every instant time that you had that will. But as soon as you get past the will, you are completely and totally dependent on the Rebbe You're even dependent on the capacity to be Bercha, of course. Because if he doesn't want you to be Bercha, you're not even Bercha and so on, you know? Choose freely, free will. But at least that's where he allowed himself not to interfere with your capacity. So that's what Bechira is on a, a, a clearer idea. That Bechira only exists in the will, free will. And it means what it says, free will. Your will is not forced. It's not imposed upon you by any being. You freely, which means that you create on your own. And therefore you are a true first cause of what you want to do. And you're rewarded based on your will. Of course you're rewarded on the action itself. Because the action is only in response to your will. If you don't want a will to get up to minion, you're not going to go. So the fact that you're in minion, davening, of course, you're rewarded for the maisa too. That's what I mean, maisa machshava. But the true thing which is independent of the is not the maisa. It's only the machshava. And the Rebbe either allows you to fulfill your will or not to fulfill your will. So it comes out that that's the only area where Rebbe removes his influence on you. And nobody understands how it's possible because nothing can exist unless he says it is. So how can you do anything without him? Again, it's, it's not knowable because obviously he, he, he operates outside of our framework and our question is only from within our framework. Now, one more idea and that completes this, this idea. For instance, even a will which is contrary to his, there's no such thing as a rotten connected his rotten. What God wants is what is. What he doesn't want isn't. So if I decide, if a person decides not to get up for minion in the morning, so why is that? Because that's contrary to his will. Because he gives existence to contrary wills also. So even that is accordance with his will. That's what it means that there is no will when the when we say the Bonsham is the absolute ruler. 
It doesn't mean that God is stronger than you, therefore he can influence you in terms of doing what he wants. He's stronger. No. There is nothing in the universe that's contrary to what he really wants. And if he allows an opposing will to exist, it's because he has purposes for that. But he must give existence to an opposing will. So nobody can do anything against the Rebbe Islam. Not one iota. Because that, the, opposite, the opposing will itself derives its existence from the Rebbe Islam. So when you talk about the Rebbe uh, ability to counteract somebody, right? Like it's hard for God to, to control or something like that. No, there's no control, there's no effort involved. Because every contrary thing to his will exists only because he wants that contrary will to be in the first place in order that free will should keep going. Because obviously if there's no contrary will, I mean there's no free will. Because you can only choose what God wants. So Boishlam's his will is that there should be a, an ability of an individual to choose contrary. And when the person chooses contrary, the Rebbeinu gives that real existence. He gives the existence to a contrary will. Let it be. But that itself is his will. That contrary will should exist in order to provide the ability, of course, of free will to operate. You see? But that, so therefore, when it says, there is no will contrary to the will of the Rebbeinu Absolutely. And any will contrary to the Rebbeinu is because that's what he wants. And not because the Rebbeinu has to minatseach or conquer somebody. You really, you have, you know, it's really, there is a room for an independent will, independent of God. But God is so strong and so mighty that he can bend you to his will, you know. No, that's not the relation between you and God. The will you yourself had to go contrary to what God really wants, itself is fed by the Rebbeinu and given existence by the Rebbeinu That is really, when we talk about Adam and the Chet, you will understand what Adam, what, what Adam had to realize. That there was no alternative like the Eitz Hadas. Such time there's an alternative Eitz Hadas, should I eat from the good and evil, right? Should I eat from good or evil, or should I not eat from good or evil, listen to God, right? What Adam should have been Masig, and he could have been Masig it, is that, what do you mean, eat for the Eitz Adas? Should I choose that? Or God's commandment, God's decision is, God's alternative is a better alternative. No. What Odom had to be masik is that there is no alternative. That the very alternative of the Eitz Adas is itself an illusion, which the version created that Odom had to figure out. That was the Nisoyim of Odom Rishon. He had to see that the alternative of eating from the Eitz Adas is an illusion. There is no other. It's, you know, because the only other is itself God's will, or else it couldn't be. So therefore, if there is no real other, then there's only God's will that has existence. So I might as well listen to not the illusion, but really what he wants. You see? That's what Odom had to realize, in the, in, and that's what he didn't realize. But when we get to the Chet of Odom Mishan, we'll talk about it more. But that is... That, what I'm telling you, which sounds so abstract, that is the holy sign of Odomishli. What I'm sitting in Darshan philosophically is what he was supposed to do and what he didn't do. And that's why we go through so much service. Not because of him, because we're involved with him together. But in any case, is the fact that any idea contrary to the will of the Rabbi is an illusion. 
And God is merely feeding that illusion. So you should think that there is such a thing as an eight sadas, a tevra, there is an alternative, and fall into it as part of Bukhira. He should have realized that it's an illusion. It was the, it was the idea is that any will, contrary to God's will, is an illusion. Because even that needs God's haskama, approval, to be. But the only reason why it is, is because God wants to test you. But not that it has a real reality in itself, that there is a tree of good and evil and I can eat it and so on. There is no reality to an opposition will, except the immediate reality of illusion. That's probably the best way of saying it. There is no reality to an opposing rotsun of the Rebbeinu except as an illusion in order to tempt you. The only reality is what the Rebbeinu really wants, the Chathila, initially, and that is to do his will, and not to do the illusion that he's got to create and make believe, so you should figure out there is nothing else. That's what the true Nisan of, of Odom was, which he should have understood, and that is the greatest idea of Enoid Mavade, because that is Enoid Mavade. That even you are, you know, it's that Enoid Mavade means there is no opposite will of the connected to the That God has to give existence to the very opposite will, or else it wouldn't be. But he gives existence. He does, for purposes of temptation, his shyness. But that's what Adam should have realized. That Enoid Mavade means literally nothing is besides the Rebbeinu and therefore, even this whole illusion of Eitzadav, you know, Tevara and so on, is an illusion that God is tempting me. Well, I think that besides God, there's also something else, but I'll choose God's way because it's better. God's way is not better. God's way is, and any other way is not. The difference is in reality, not in betterness, you know, is it more advantageous. It's a question of existence. There is nothing else. It's merely the illusion that the Bershlam gives. But the only thing that has existence is what he wants. And the only reason why he creates the illusion is to give you the Nisoyen in the first place. That's a very important idea to grasp. And that was the murdered Nisoyen of Odom Rishon, which of course he was not Masik. And he, when he ate from the eights, right, on the, what, what, with the temptation to urinate, what he was really saying is that there is an alternative way. Except God doesn't want it. And God's way is better. Name. He failed in recognition because what in the world are you eating the apple? There's no apple to eat. It just looks like there is right now for the purposes of giving you the illusion. Well, you know, what are you eating there? There's nothing there. But he didn't recognize that Adam. And as a result of that, when we get to Adam Rishon, all the incredible amount of things, all the amount of things that happened. It's just to sum up, and then we'll end. We always discuss the idea of timelessness, the idea of the complete independence of the Bershalom, even from abstract concepts, of which he does not need. And number two, the idea of what Teva is, what a Ness is, what's Kishif, what is the Maisa of an Adam, where do you take exercise independently from the Bershalom by your Rotsen, what the relation between Rotsen is and your Maisa, your will, the, the relation between your will and your action, and the complete illusion of any opposing will to the Bershalom, and the idea that Adam, that was the Nisoyim of Adam Rishon, to realize that if it's all God's will, so why do what he doesn't want, except he's allowing him to exist for an illusionary purpose, temptation. Why not do what he was want, does want? Because anyway, it's all Rats and Abure. He told me people think that by doing something else, it's not Rats and Abure. But if they would realize that everything is Rats and Abure, 
and that part is Ratzana Bura to create the illusion for Nisayin and temptation, then they would only do Taka, only what Ratzana Bura, clearly and explicit, God says, this is what I want. That's what I don't want, even though I'm, I'm supporting it, and I'm allowing it to exist, for the purposes of fooling you. But I don't want that, and I want you to figure out the game, and that will get into next week, what the game is. And that's the Avoidah. I just want to begin uh, by stating certain ideas which we had covered previously. We were examining the idea of the Rebani Shulam's Yehudoi, his unity. And probably as a summation, the best way to really sum it up is by the idea that there basically are in, in, the, in the universe there are basically two ideas two fundamental ideas of everything and that is that there is the notion of existence and the notion of being it means everything we see is called a being it's a thing that's what being is anything which exists is a being the second notion which is fundamental is the notion of existence a thing has existence so the notion of metzius of existence itself is also fundamental. In other words, the two most fundamental ideas in the Bria is the notion of existence and the notion of being. Now we say that everything everything has existence or else it wouldn't be. But there's still two different ideas. There's the notion of the thing itself, for instance, that take the shtender, and the fact that this shtender actually exists. It has what's called existence. But there are two different ideas the notion of being, and the notion of existence itself. Now, when you look at the idea of existence, existence is not a thing, it's not a being. It's something which all things have. That's why those are the two most fundamental ideas. All things have existence, but if we just look at the idea called existence, then that itself is not a real being. It's not a thing, existence is not a thing. All things have existence, and that's why we can see them, they're observable, that's why they are. So the idea is that there are two fundamental ideas, and that is the notion of existence as distinct from the notion of being, number one. Number two is that being itself is not the same thing as existence, that they're two different ideas, and that existence itself is not a being, it's not a thing. It's something which all things have. But existence itself is not a being. It's not something which we can say, well, what are the characteristics of being? What, what are the different uh, traits of it? You know, what does it look like and so on? It doesn't look like anything. There's no characteristics. It's the idea of existence. But it's not a being in itself. Um, and the third idea so you know, that's the notion of two fundamental ideas of the universe, is the notion of existence and the notion of being. And the second idea is that being is not the same thing as existence. <coughs> existence itself is not a being, the way we think of a thing. It's not a thing. All things have existence to be, but existence itself is not a thing, it's not a being. Now, when we talk about the Rabbani Shalom, it appears that the Rabbani Shalom is existence. So when you talk about God himself, 
the notion is that God is existence. God does not have existence. God is existence. And there you really begin to understand that existence itself is a being. But it's something which is completely not comprehensible. Because in this universe, we see that everything has existence. But existence is part of the being, but it's, it itself is not a thing. In the Rabbinish realm, existence itself, he and it are synonymous. So therefore, he is the very being called existence. But that's not comprehensible, because in our experience, we never meet such a thing. We always meet the idea of existence and being as separate. Even though in reality, they always come together. When, uh, when you have a thing, obviously it always has existence, so they always come together. But the true idea is that in the Rebbeinshlam, they don't come together, but the rather that he is the very idea called existence. So therefore the Rebbeinshlam is not a thing, he is existence, and then we meet the notion that existence itself is a being. But like I say, that's not comprehensible at all. But at least we can, we can understand the wording of it, and like sort of, but it's almost like the mind really cannot picture it, just merely by the words we use. But we really cannot convey a concept of existence as a thing in itself. But that is what the Rebbeinshlam is, that he is existence. He's a fabric called existence. And that we are beings that have existence. But he is the actual idea of existence itself. Now, so once we understand the idea that the Rebbeinshlam is existence, many things uh, get explained, especially in terms of his attributes, which I had mentioned actually uh, last week and the week before. Now, interestingly enough, once we understand that, then one can understand that whoever is existence itself is, and whoever is not existence itself isn't. Therefore, they must be created. The reason why the Virgilum is, is because he is existence. So obviously he is. Existence means that it is, by its very essence, or the very idea that it is existence automatically means that it is. If you do not, if you are not existence, then you don't exist. You must be given that idea called existence. If somebody took away the, the thing called existence, you would vanish immediately. Okay. So the idea is that the reason why the Rebbeinu is is because he is existence. It doesn't have to be given it. But we who are not existence, we have it, and that's why we are right. If it was taken away from us, we would vanish, right? So therefore, we obviously are not. Now, the idea further is that the only being, the only kind of being that is existence, that really exists. Anything else which is not existence, which must be given existence, isn't. Even after you're given existence. That's the key idea here. Now, you remember we told that the most fundamental idea that we can know about the Islam is first that he exists, that he, there's a, a, a superior, supreme being called God. And the second thing is that that besides God, there is nothing else. When I told you in the Chumash, it says, You have been shown that the Lord our God, there is nothing besides God, right? And I said that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't saying that before creation. No, it was before God brought everything to creation. He was the only thing that existed. Moshe didn't say that. Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to them now and he's saying, By the way, Jews, you have been shown to see that there is nothing besides God. Now, 
the truth of Einayn Muvadeh in terms that there is nothing besides God and like I said it doesn't say Einayn Kumayu there's nothing like God it says Einayn Muvadeh there is nothing besides God besides that entity called God there's nothing else and Ein Oid means literally Ein Oid there ain't nothing mm-hmm. now that it literally means that let go slow and I explained that what does that mean that, so that idea of Einayn Muvadeh is true before he created the universe and even after he created the universe now so you'll ask what do you mean but he did the act of creation so we do exist so I gave an example that we exist like a dreamer is having a dream in other words, in the, dream, in the dream itself, you have people talking to each other, right? But would you say that the existence of his dream, the people in the dream, is like dreaming himself? No. As soon as he wakes up, they're all gone. And even while he's dreaming, it's merely a figment of his mind. They don't have the same kind of existence like the dream himself. With that analogy, we can understand also here. Our existence <coughs> is like the dream. I can say here and give a shear, you can hear it, we can see the whole world. But the truth is, in terms of the real quality called reality, we do not have the same kind of reality or existence that God does. He really is, whatever that means, He really is. We are not at all. If we are, it's only in terms of, it's like an idea in the mind of the Rabbanishlerim. So it's like that idea in the dream. Now, again, that's not comprehensible because as far as we're concerned, everything around us has true existence. But that's okay. But if you want to know the truth, then in terms of this reality, this we do not exist like God does. And as compared to God, we do not exist at all. Compared to that kind of existence, we don't exist at all. I ex- Anyway, so those three ideas, which is the truth. One is that in our experience, being and the idea of existence are separate. Being has existence, but the truth is it's separate ideas. Right? That's the first thing to remember. The second thing is that, of course, in this reality, being has existence interwoven with it. We never encounter in the street something called existence by itself. But the idea is that here, being and existence are interwoven, but they're separate ideas, right? Okay. The second thing is that we, of course, have existence, okay? And the Rabbanishlam, of course, is existence. So therefore, when we talk about him in that way, we, for the first time, encounter that existence itself is a being, because he is that. But that is so removed from our understanding and experience that I merely can utter it without really understanding it. Now, but I utter it for this reason, that obviously the underlying reason of Enid Muvadai, why God is one, and He is a sole entity that exists altogether, is because He is existence. So if He is existence, He exists. We who are not existence, we who must be given existence, don't exist at all in the real sense of what a thing that exists really does. You and mean, I gave the example. That, that, that dependency is certainly we're dependent. Yeah. But even after we are given existence, it's not the same as his. Yeah. He is existence and we must have his existence to oh, be. In order to be. In order to be. Okay? Now so that that's so the underlying fundamental idea of Ene Mulvadoi that there is no entity besides God at all, okay, is understood by the fact that He is 
existence itself and we are not. But we have never encountered existence as a being by itself. Only we are things. He is that being by itself. Now, once we understand that, put that aside, and now let's go as God begins creating the universe. Now, there's a certain term in Kabbalah called Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum, okay? Now, Tzimtzum literally means restriction. To say means to limit or to restrict. God restricted himself, or he limited himself. He clamped down, he placed a boundary on himself, so to speak, in order to bring about certain phenomena, certain realities. Now, let's understand what that is. If we take a look at the Rabbani Shalom, God feels all... God feels everything because if He is existence, obviously there can be no place that's void of Him because how would it exist? It's not given the quality called existence. So the fact that He is existence immediately explains the idea of why the Rabboni Shalom is Mole Kolo'eret Kavoidoi. What does it say there? What do we say in Kedusha? Mole Kolo'eret Kavoidoi, that God fills all creation with His being. Kavoidoi. But why? Now you understand. Because if He is existence, obviously has to fill all creation, because if there was a spot that was removed from Him, how would it exist? It doesn't have that quality called existence. So that, so when the Malachim say, I am in Koimu where is God's place that we can praise Him? It's rhetorical. He has no place. He's not limited by a place. There He is and there He ain't. Right? He isn't, right? The idea is that He has no restriction in place. He's all over. So it's really a rhetorical question. But the idea is that God is all over because in order for everything to be, it needs Him to exist. Now, so the idea is that if that's the case, if the Rabbani Shalom is all over, okay, then nothing can exist in His presence. Because as long as He's completely manifested, okay, as long as God is completely uh, obvious or apparent, okay? Wait, wait, as long as God expresses or reveals Himself fully, nothing can exist in that spot. Nothing. Because what... It, well, it, 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 as long as He... Well, the, the idea is because He is the only thing that exists. And as long as He wants to express Himself fully, there's nothing else that is. So what the Rabbani Shalom has to do in order to bring things into being is he has to restrict himself. He's got to hide himself. He has to hide a certain aspect of himself and once he hides himself, it's possible for entities to come into being. And that's the first idea of Tzimtzum. That the Rabbani Shalom hid the uniqueness or the full thrust of his being. Okay? And as a result of that, beings are, there's now a, a possibility of entities to exist. He didn't create them yet. But there has to be a, a, a potential of being to exist. And as long as he does not hide his incredible unity, his awesome being, and he is everything, then nothing else can have a space. There's no possibility even for something to come into being. So the Rebbe is Matsamtim himself, meaning that he creates the possibility even that he is now going to hide himself in a certain idea, respect, therefore a, a being can now exist independent of him, or outside of him, or at least it looks like it exists outside of him. 
Okay? So that's the first act of symptom. Is that the Rabbanishlerim restricted his own being, and as a result of that, it's possible now to bring beings into existence besides himself. What the Rabbanishlerim did is he made it possible for any idea, anything, including time, including space, including substance, angels, men, women, anything to be, by restricting his own presence. Once he did that, okay, now everything can come into being. Now God, that's the first act of restriction, is that the version made it possible for other entities to be, because he restricted his own presence. Now, that's the first act of symptom. Okay, very good. So the Vashlam restricts his own presence, and now it's possible for other beings to be. And other beings means things, it means the concept called time, which is a nivra. It means the concept of space, and I mentioned that space is merely, space means the possibility of extension of being. Nothing also is space, that being can expand in space. All these things are created. And the possibility, of course, was given because he was Samsung his presence. Now, the second idea, okay, so that's terrific. So Rebbe is Samsung himself, and now God is going to create. Okay, but wait a minute. If the God wants to create a being, do you have any idea what kind of being that would be? If God used his full powers, which is infinite, right? And it's not only infinite, it is the totality of all existence. There's nothing beyond his powers because it doesn't exist. That's why he is perfect. But the idea is the idea of perfection flows from the fact that he is existence. But in any case, so Bresham now wants to create a being. He could have created a being that's awesome. Not men or you know, not mankind which is frail and puny and so on. Even angels are puny compared to what the Bresham could have created. He could have created a being which is incredible in terms of its being itself. Had he wanted to. Even if he has to give existence to that being. But the kind of being that that thing it is would be mind-boggling. So if we rate it on a scale from 1 to 100, whatever, that kind of being would be what's called kol yucholtoi. That being is a created being which is the re- product of the awesome powers of God. Completely. Without any restriction. <coughs> you know, it's, it's, like a, it's like an engineer. I'll show you what I can do. And he doesn't he didn't build a hut he builds a magnificent structure that's the that's the he does completely what he can do in engineering so the version could do the same thing God is going to do completely what he can do in creation and that kind of creation would have been infinite or bordered on the infinite now but the version did not create that kind of creation that would reflect his incredible complete powers he didn't do that instead he creates a being 50 points down. In other words, if you had to rate it on a scale, 100% would be a being that's created by 100% of his powers, right? But he didn't do that. Instead, he creates a being that's only 50% even of his powers. So the first act of Simpson, like I say, right, was the fact that he made beings possible. So he restricts his presence. Okay? The second idea is that instead of creating a being, once they can be, fully, what's called koyukhoto, his full might, he doesn't do that. He doesn't create a being of 100% of his capacity. He creates a being of only 50% of his capacity. 
And, but even that being is awesome. I mean, you know, I, I can't divide God's capacity. I'm obviously only speaking in human terms. You know, there's no percentage of his capacity. But in any case, he does not create a being He restricts himself further. First, he restricts himself in allowing being to be. First act of Simpson. Secondly, he restricts himself in not, once being can be, what kind of a being will it be? Not the full thrust of his capacities, but only a minority of his capacities. So he restricts himself even in his actions. And he creates a being labeled 50%. Again, just, just as a frame of reference. Okay. Second act of Simpson. But that's not enough of the Rebbe What he wants now is he takes that being of 50% and he reduces it to 20%. Now, so it's the, it's the object of that 20% being to raise itself to its 50% shremus. You see? In other words, the Rebbe creates a being whose entire capacity is only 50%. But in actuality, he reduced that further so that the being itself can bring out its full potential and actualize its full capacity and become a 50% being. Once he allowed the being itself to be a partner in the creation in that sense, you now will be able to do the rest of the work and bring yourself up to that capacity which I gave you, which is 50%. But right now, when you enter this world, you're only 20%. That's where you are. But that's a third act of restriction. That even when the Rebbeinu created a being at 50, that was only the capacity of the being, not the actuality of the being. He reduced the actual being to 20. So he reduced his awesome powers even further by creating, in effect, a 20% being. Now that 20% being, of course, is this universe. And that's mankind. Okay? So mankind is that kind of being which is really 20% of the capacities of God. But... But he really can mushroom or fulfill his complete capacity, and that's his job, right? To bring himself up to the full capacity of what God wants him to be, which is 50%. But even that's not the 100%, of course, that the Rebbe wants. Okay? So those are three acts of restriction. Now the idea is also that that's called shlemus, perfection. When you f- perfect yourself to your capacity, which is the being God created, perfectly, which is 50, that's called Shlemus. That's why the, the essential idea in Judaism is what? It's called perfection or Shlemus. Because it's the job of mankind to actualize his full potential of the 50. And that's all the Rebbe wants. That's all man can do because all he is is a 50% being. He can't do more. He can't make himself 80 because he was not given the capacity for that 80. But the 50 he was... And he has to marshal himself to get to that 50. Wait. So that's the idea of Simpson restriction. First restriction is that God restricted his own presence so being could be. The second restriction is that he didn't create being fully the way he could have, which would be an almost infinite kind of being. But he created a very finite being, which is 50. And even that 50, he reduced further so that being itself could be marshaled, could perfect, fulfill, complete, complete complete his own capacity of being. Okay? Now wait. So those are the three ideas of Tzimtzum. Now, I want to mention one more idea. When we say the Rebbe restricted his presence, it doesn't mean he affected his own being at all. It doesn't mean that. It's important to understand. God says in Marachi, I have not changed. God says that through the Prophet. I have not changed. 
the Rebbe does not change. He is not capable of change because change itself is a nivra. The concept of change itself is a created idea. God does not change. When we say that Rebbe restricted his appearance, it doesn't mean that he did something to himself. It means that he put glasses on your eyes so you can't see him. That's what it means. Let's say you walk into a room, right? And you can only see, you know, so the guy walks over to you and he gives you uh, regular eyeglasses so then you can see everything, right? Instead, so then the guy takes off the eyeglasses and he puts on translucent glass. You can only see the glass, the light coming through. You can't see objects mm-hmm. clearly. Is there a change in the person outside of you? No. There's a change in your capacity to see him. Then if he wants, he can do it further, make it more and more darker. Finally, he can walk over and put you on, you know, a blinders where you can't see anything. There's no change in the outside world. There's merely a change in your subjective perception of that world. You can't see any differently. That's what it means when God changed the appearance. He didn't change his appearance, but he created beings that would not be fully aware of him, but maybe they could exist. Because if they would be fully aware of him, they couldn't be. They would be him. So therefore, he created beings that were not fully aware, okay, and mainly they have existence. And to the degree of not full awareness is the amount of percentage points that goes down the line. The greater the being is, by definition, means the more it's aware of God, which means it's closer to the Rebbein The less a being is, the quality of the being, the farther it is removed from God, but distance is merely a metaphor. It means the less it's aware of the presence of the Rebbein Shalom, it's less of a kind of being. So it comes out that the kind of being you are depends on how much he wants you to be aware of him. If he wants, you see, in other words, your hasoga, your comprehension of God determines your qualitative state of being. If you are aware of more, then you are a much greater being. And the Mahalachim are greater than men now because they stand much closer to him. It means that they are aware of his presence much greater than we are. Okay? The Neshama is greater than the Mahalachim, the soul of man, because it eventually has the capacity to be aware of God, the greatest of all, of all creations. The Neshama is the greatest of all creations because that 50, which you think is small but really is incredible, means that that 50% that he has the capacity to be aware of the Rebbein 50%. I'm using a crude marshal to explain, but the idea is still the same. That when we talk about the three acts of symptom or the three acts of restriction, in order to allow being to exist, what kind of beings exist, and finally down to mankind, it has to get back to the original capacity, there's no change in God. The Rebbein merely gives you, he limits your own perception of him. And that affects your being. That is your being itself. That's a result of, of the being itself. The less you see God, the more and more base you become. Okay? But the neshama of a man, of an individual, okay, mankind, has the capacity in terms of perceiving God far greater than the Malachim. Okay? So that's the way it works. That the perception of God itself is the varying factors that create the different kinds of being. But God doesn't change. He's still Mole Kalaretz Kavoidoi. He's still Mole Kalaretz Kavoidoi. In fact, when Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Rebbeinu, Harenu no Kavoidecho, Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Rebbeinu two things in the Kisiso, when he, God was married to the Jews for the Edom and so on. So it was an opportune time. So he says to the Rebbeinu, show me your ways. 
That means show me why you do things. Why you punish the righteous, why you reward the wicked. Give me an explanation of why you interact with the Bria in just such a way. Tell me, I want to understand why there's evil, why we're showing evil men are, are, are uh, rewarded in the sense that they have good and righteous. And so, so, that's one thing he asked to buy from him. The second thing he asked him is, Show me your cover, show me your honor. Most of them want to understand how is it possible for God to be everywhere and we are completely oblivious of Him? How does it work? How does emotion pervade? He surrounds, He pervades all being. Yet nobody is aware of Him. And if they are aware of Him because He allows at that point to be aware. That being He allows to be aware not that because He is within the being. And he allows that being to feel God within him more. Okay? Moshe wants to how does that work? <coughs> well, you know, it's obviously not, it can't be shown, because the Moshe said you can't know that, you know. But in any case, that's the ideas of Tzimtzum. So what I've discussed so far is several ideas. The first idea is the notion, the two concepts of existence and being. The second idea is that existence is not a being. Being has existence, right? The third idea that in God, existence, He is the being called existence. Okay? The fourth idea was that He who is existence, therefore is, and therefore He who is not existence, who has to be given existence, isn't. And that idea is the fundamental idea of Enel Mavadeh. That even after the Rebellion brought the Bri into existence, we do not exist like Him, since we have to be given Him. Him, him, he himself, because he is existence. Then I went into the idea of Tzimtzum. But once we understand Enid Muvadoi, because he is existence, then the question is, of course, he must fill the fabric of the Bria. He is like the fabric, and everything is interwoven in that fabric, if you want to look at it that way. He's like a bedsheet in that sense, and there's embroidery on that. The whole creation is the embroidery on him in that bedsheet, because it all needs him to exist. That's what they mean when they say that if God ceased to be, we would cease. Well, of course we would cease, because we wouldn't exist. Okay? And that's why it means when it says that God is perfect, because of course He's perfect. Because He is the totality of all that is. There can't be more than God, because it wouldn't exist. Because whatever it is, He is the one that gives it existence. So that explains why God is perfect. It also explains why God can only be, why God cannot be duplicated. Because you can duplicate this machine, but you can't duplicate its existence. There's not two kinds of existence. There's two kinds of machines that have existence. But the idea of existence is not two. There's only one thing called existence. God who is existence is not duplicated because of that. And the idea of Simpson in terms of the three ideas of restrictions. The first where he restricted his presence so a being could exist or anything could exist in the first place, including time and space and whatever, or objects. The second idea is that he restricted himself in the kind of being that he wants around. And instead of using his full might, he used only part of his might. That's the second act of Tzimtzum. And the third act of Tzimtzum is that even this being which he brought into existence, only he did it only in terms of capacity, not actuality. And he wants the individual himself to do the work of bringing him back into the capacity. Okay? Those are the ideas of Tzimtzum.
which is a very fundamental concept. People don't realize how fundamental the idea of symptom means, which really means to limit oneself or to restrict oneself. Now you realize why it's so fundamental and really why Kabora spends so much time on it after this year. Now, as I had mentioned, but I want to go in more detail, what is the idea of Tzimtzum? Now, if you recall that before anything was created, you have only the Rabbani Shlalom. There's nothing else, obviously, before creation. And the Rabbani Shlalom is co- completely manifesting his being completely. Now, we know that one of the aspects of his being is that he is the only thing that really exists. So therefore, as long as the Rabbani Shlalom manifests himself completely, nothing can exist besides him. Because that idea, that idea that he exists only, that there's nothing besides him, as long as he is fully manifesting himself, nothing can exist in the first place. So what the Rabbani Shalom does is he does something uniquely new in all creation. And that is he decides to metzamtzim himself, to restrict or to limit himself. And what he restricts is the idea that he is the only thing that has existence. He sort of like hides himself, okay? That's called Hesteponov. When the Rebbe is master his face, and that's where we see a person by his face, he hides his own appearance or his face. Which means that the idea, the attribute of Enei that only God exists, is hidden. Okay? That's what Tzimtzum means. That the Rebbe now decides to hide some of his manifestation or the expression of himself. Therefore, now it's possible for other things to exist. And therefore the Rabbani Shalom now creates. But before the act of creation, one has to have the capacity for creation itself, which means that the Rabbani Shalom has to somehow master some aspect of himself or nothing can exist at the same time. So, symptom means in its most basic fundamental way that the possibility the actual possibility, the concept that the Rabbani Shalom will hide or conceal some aspect of his being, namely his pure and only existence, comes into being. That's what Simpson is. The possibility that the Rabbani Shalom can hide himself. That's what Simpson is. What does he hide? He hides the idea of his oneness, that only he exists. As a result of that, he now brings into being or creates and he creates time he creates space he creates matter the entire spiritual and physical universe now that it's possible for other things which is called zulasoi that which is besides God can now exist too because the idea of his oneness is now hidden okay that's what Simpson means the idea of his oneness his Eino is now hidden therefore creating the capacity or possibility of other beings to exist now, therefore now he creates them. But the, as I mentioned, the second fundamental idea is that what kind of beings will he create? Now the Rebbeinu can act the way he wants, which means his full capacity. Which means that he can create a universe that is so incredible that it cannot be comprehended by anybody outside of himself. Which means that it's completely not describable. Notice if the Rebbeinu acts in his full capacity, he will do what he could do, which is obviously infinite. It's more than infinite. There's, there's, no, there's no gauge to that. Then it's not possible for any being other than himself to understand what in the world he did. 
It's not honorable. It's completely incomprehensible. So what the Rebbeinu wants beings to understand what he does, his acts, and he wants beings not only to understand, but that on the contrary, he wants them to delve and really try to understand, not by accident, but by, but by mitzvah. He wants you to understand his acts and his, his actions, his, uh, the universe he created and so on. So therefore, obviously, he must create a universe which is much less than what he could really do. So he creates a universe that's called bounded or limited. Okay? So the universe now becomes finite. It's understandable. I understand things have a cause, and they have an effect. There are certain things that precede other things. There are coincidences, there are events, scientific laws. These things all could be understood. Why? Because they're obviously not infinite, and the reason why the creation was made understandable, and therefore was made limited, and bounded, and it was made, it, it was made that it would be able to be grasped by the mind of a being outside of the Rebbeinu So if the Rebbeinu did a second symptom, the second restriction was of his own powers. First he was Mitzamsem, he <coughs> concealed his presence, so therefore other things can now exist. And the second thing he did was he brought things into existence of what kind? He made a creation that could be understood not by himself, but by others also. Not only by himself, by others also. So therefore, he imposed a limit on his own abilities. He didn't create what he could. He created, obviously, far less than really what he could, so that other beings could understand what he created. And on the contrary, he wants them to understand what he created. That's the second way the Rebbeinu limited himself. But of course, not, he doesn't have to limit himself. That's the second idea that he decided to limit his own capacities what he could do. That's a, a deeper understanding of what I had mentioned. Now the third act of restriction is finally the version decides to make a creation, correct? And so he provides room for it. He decides to make a kind of creation that's far less than what he can do. So let's say on a scale of 1 to 100 it's only a scale of 50. It's only 50% of what he could do. It's only a way of expressing, obviously, what he could do is infinite. But let's say he could, if he wanted to create a universe, it would be 100%. But that 100% universe would all be understood by him. So he creates a universe or kinds, beings, and so on, that's only 50%. Terrific. So that's the second act of Tzimtzum, the kind of beings he creates. Then enters the third kind of Tzimtzum. That he takes this 50% and he leaves it only capacity. In other words, he takes the beings that are in capacity or truly of 50% being and he reduces them to 20 so that they themselves would fill the other 30 to get back to 50. He wants them to actually actualize what he gave them in terms of capacity. So that leaves room for the avoider, for the work of mankind, okay, that they should get back to the 50 in which the version created them in the first place. But mankind exists in terms of the capacity of his being is only 50, and he himself has been reduced to 20, so that the 30% would be his cause or his responsibility, that he has to restore himself back to the original 30. So that, again, is a third act of Simpson. The first act of restriction is that the possibility that God is hidden is true in the first place, that's the first act of Simpson. Therefore, beings could now exist, creation. The second act of Simpson, which is restriction, 
that the kinds of things he would create itself would be less than what he could do, so that they themselves could comprehend themselves and all creation. So that's the 50% being rather than the 100% being. So that's the second restriction he imposed on himself. And the third restriction is that since he wanted mankind to have a share in what he looks like in the end, he therefore reduced the capacity, even the capacity remains 50, but he reduced the actuality into 20, so that mankind himself would, would, uh, would go up to that 50 in terms of his full capacity of perfection or being. See, that's three acts of symptom. But the fundamental idea of symptom, remember, is restriction somehow of the revelation of himself. And we see that what he's really restricting is his unique oneness. And therefore he creates other beings, gives them room to exist. So those are the basically three acts of symptom. Now, if we look at that third act, that third act is really very phenomenal. Because we begin to notice several ideas. The first idea is, the question is, what, when we say that man is reduced to 20 instead of from 50 to 20, what's been reduced? What we understand that means, that means that a being now becomes imperfect. In other words, the abortion decides the shlemus or perfection of a being, and in this case the universal perfection is 50, again not 100. But that perfection which is 50 means mankind in a perfect state is 50. Because that's how he was created. Okay, now, but mankind was made imperfect and therefore placed down to 20. And he would have to get back to his perfection or his full state and he would have to do it himself. But what is meant by the idea of perfection and imperfection? The answer is Hesti Yehudoi and Gili The symptom itself. When God hides himself from an individual, since God is the only thing that truly exists, one, and two, since God is perfect, it follows that the further you're removed from that being, the more imperfect you become. Because your whole being and your whole perfection only exists by virtue of the Rebbein So the further you get removed from God, the more and more imperfect you become. So therefore, imperfection really means being more removed from the Rebbein or having less and less an understanding or experiencing of the revelation of himself. That's what it means to be imperfect. That is the definition of imperfect. Therefore, the definition of perfection is the greatest his carvers, the greatest closeness or the greatest experiencing that your being can take of the revelation of That's perfection. Because every time you get closer to God in the sense that you experience him better, and I don't mean it in these vague ideas that many people say. I'm, I'm talking about a literal experience of the Rebbeinu Shalom. Every time you experience more, and you become more aware of His presence and His, his, uh, his nature and so on and so forth, then you yourself change in your own being, and somehow you become more perfect. Something happens to your very being. Every time you get further and further away, Again, something happens in your being where you change. So perfection and imperfection in mankind and in the universe simply means more and more presence of the Rebbein or less and less presence of the Rebbein Either the Hester Ponov means the concealment of the Rebbein face, which means concealment of him, or Ha'olas Ponov, where the Rebbein reveals himself. 
that's exactly what perfection and imperfection means. That when a being became imperfect, it means that the, when we say that Rebbe reduced the being from 50 to 20, it means he further reduced his consume, he further increased his consumment. Therefore, the being goes down to 50, uh, to, to 20. And when we say that the person has to work to perfect himself, we mean that he has to go back to the original 50, which means to bring God closer or to get closer to the Rebbe himself. That's what it means. Now, one more idea in the ideas of from 50 to 20. We see that 50 to 20 really means the entire idea of Tzimtzum, which means God keeps concealing himself. So from 50 to 20, he conceals himself even more, so therefore you become much less of a perfect being. And when he reveals himself more, in terms of your work, you get up to the 50, which means he reveals himself more. Now, the second incredible idea is that you control Tzimtzum. In the beginning, God restricts himself once, twice, three times. Then he gives you the power of Tzimtzum. You have within your power to increase the presence of the version in the universe or to decrease his presence. And you can kick the version right out of the universe. That's your act of Tzimtzum. You can re- not that you, f- you do it, but the version now makes his Tzimtzum, means if he's going to be in the universe or not, based on your actions. Not that he has to do it, but he says, I will now base my appearance in this universe, the exact degree of appearance, based on your actions. If you do certain actions, I will enter the universe, meaning that I will make myself more visible to man. If you do the opposite, I will remove myself from the universe, which, make me, make me, which means to make myself invisible to man. So it comes out that the idea of, of symptom, which is a possibility of God's hiddenness, concealment, is actually in the end controlled by you. And if God is more in the universe, then you become more perfect. If he's less in the universe, you become less perfect. So we see that the entire idea of Tzimtzum is all the way down where God conceals himself, where he makes himself available, where beings can exist, the kind of beings, and that you yourself are down to 20, and that you control the actual amount of the presence or concealment of the Rebbe in the Bria. That is a murdy concept to understand.